Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the studio with Mike, soon to be joined by Peter. We are recording the intro before he makes his way here. We are recording part two of Law and Gospel, A Lens for Life. I didn't check if that's the title Peter used when he released the episode, but that's the title of the presentation that we're working our way through, and this could be a two-part or a three-part series, depending on how stuff goes today. Um, But the goal of this series is to be looking at, first, uh, biblical anthropology. So what's the, the problem that the Bible presents? And we focused, especially in the last episode, on our lack of righteousness, Um, our lack of shalom, and we unpacked what we mean by that, Um, peace, vertical peace, horizontal peace, a proper venue for human flourishing, Um, and our lack of, uh, or our our awareness of something's just not right. Um, Everything here is not how it ought to be necessarily, and even more, everything in me isn't necessarily how it is meant to be, and that doesn't mean that everything is bad, Um, God's creation is good, but that something is missing and we are cognizant of that. And in this series, we're going to be looking at um, the ways that people, not only through religion, but the various avenues that people uh, may take to try to fill that void, to fill that lack, um, whether that be to find peace, whether that be to feel just or righteous, um, whether that be to placate whatever deity they might believe in. And so there's going to be a number of uh, law approaches to God that we look at, and I'm using the word uh, law for this, meaning kind of the human religion default way to do this. Um, And by religion here, we're not talking only about religion, but uh, things that people people don't think of as religions, but they can take on uh, religious tones or a a religious sense in how people approach them. And and maybe a justification by law. Somehow I'm justifying myself via something that's not righteousness by faith but yeah and and mike mentioned in the last episode kind of self-justification is a a way of talking about that so last time we hit on self-denial as the first of those we spent a lot of time on setting the stage um and in in this episode or in upcoming upcoming episodes as well we'll be looking at doing extra work so first denying ourselves um, but then trying to go above and beyond uh bargaining with god uh, politics or economics or utopian uh, idealism, uh, identity movements, kind of trying to be the right group of people, us versus them. Uh, technology is kind of our, our last best hope. Um, social justice, once again, justice is not a bad thing, um, but trying to find our righteousness in our position on an issue over against our neighbor um, so that we kind of lose sight of our neighbor in a sweeping movement. Um, And then uh, what we could call self-help or self-improvement, kind of pulling oneself up by the bootstraps. And then we'll close out uh, talking about sin and grace and the doctrine of justification, specifically forensic justification, how God, from outside of ourselves, extra nos, declares us righteous in Christ, and then how that plays out in the Christian life, acknowledging that once we are declared whole in Christ, um, we are uh, that horizontal and vertical relationship is restored through baptism, uh, the Christian life still is a struggle. We still are conflicted this side of the grave. Uh, And then just circling back to then how law and gospel is a lens um, for life. And by that, I mean capital L life. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Um, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, we talk about it giving forgiveness, life, and salvation, kind of the foretaste of eternal life we get here as we're being renewed in the image of God um, and transformed by the renewal of our minds. Um, since Peter is here, I is not here yet, I will mention we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Um, a number of podcasts over there and uh, encourage you to check them out. If you dig one, listen to it. I know Mike and I each have a few that we are very regular to listening to. If there's one you don't dig, try another, um, but just be sure to come back to us. As always, we appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast. Doing so on iTunes is especially helpful, as a lot of your podcatchers really end up, at the end of the day, pulling their ratings and reviews or their rankings from iTunes, so we very much uh, appreciate ratings and reviews. Uh, This week, I fell a little bit behind on devotions. I do have a few to get out, um, but sometimes our primary vocations uh, get us a little busy. Um, And so I apologize for that, but we have had pretty regular devotions coming out 4 a.m. every morning. You can subscribe to those by email on the website for the podcast, letthebirdfly.com. But we also do post them on social media. And then finally, uh, just kind of heads up, we're not going to be doing a free-for-all today. We thought we have more than enough to explore with the main topic. And really, this episode is a continuation of building on the previous episode. So when Peter gets here, we're going to go right into the main topic. So all that being said, uh, Mike, would you mind giving us our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. that brings us to our main topic. Peter has joined us, so we're happy to see him on this Wednesday in the Lenten season. Uh, Mike and I were at Nain, heard a fine sermon from uh, we went from to my pastor, Pastor Berg. What did you think of that that sermon, Peter? I wasn't I wasn't there. Uh, I was busy running around with minus kids. three sanctification points. <laughs> I got a phone call in the middle of the service, and my thing was like buzzing. You know, my phone. Like a spam from, call or legit? No, from Carrie Keene. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's why I think Generac, which is our science hall for our list, new listeners, yeah. I'm not sure that they believe in Jesus. Well, it is well, I mean, it's science, it. right? So yeah. it's kind of the antithesis of religion. So. <laughs> they probably had an afternoon. They, Wauwatosa <laughs> must have a, uh, St. John's must have a early service because another faculty member, I'm not going to put her out there, um, but teaches math over in Generac, also was texting me. Hey, did um, you know that right uh, church too. Christy Meyer goes to um, St. John's Oh, Wisconsin really? As well. yeah. Does she teach math? Yeah, she does. Huh. Well, that's a coincidence. <laughs> um, sorry, okay. I thought I would uh, start by reading a, uh, a quote from Von Haver's Ethics, and it uh, 
the first part starts somewhat understandable, gets a little harder, but I thought we could use it as a, a launching point. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously um, pastor in the Confessing Church. He end ends up put to death um, not long before the war ends, and I believe Buchenwald concentration camp um, for being part of a conspiracy to kill Hitler. Turns out Hitler didn't like conspiracies to kill him. And, uh, but very interesting theologian, uh, you know, people have different reactions to him, but has some very interesting stuff. And so this is then from his ethics. And I think it roundabout gets at how we started this with the first episode on this part one, which was the last episode, which I encourage you to listen to. I think you'll, you'll be fine jumping in here, but that might be helpful to listen to after. <clears throat> and so this is on a uh, page 35 of the touchstone book by Simon and, uh, Schuster, uh, edition of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's um, Ethics, and he writes, But their action, that's the Pharisees, but their action is not genuine action, for indeed the action which is intended to overcome the disunion of man and good and evil does not ach- achieve this aim, but only aggravates the disunion still further. And in this way for the Pharisee, the doing of the good which is intended to heal the inner disunion of man and his disunion with other men leads only to still greater disunion and to some persistence in the defection from the origin. And what Bonhoeffer's getting at there is he kind of begins his ethics talking about all true ethics and all true um, human unity to be a unified human being within yourself and with others uh, begins with justification and a, a right relationship with God. Uh, it begins with the forgiveness of sins. And so... Even when we talk about conscience, right, conscience exists because of the fall into sin, Bonhoeffer argues, that this judging of good and evil within us is really a testimony to the disunity of our person. Um, and and it's really uh, us um, oftentimes now becoming uh, a law of good and evil or the measure of good and evil unto ourselves rather than being united in the will of God. And he gets at how Christ oftentimes can't be understood by those to whom he's speaking, especially by the Pharisees, because Christ is coming from a place of utter freedom um, from works that are not works of the law, because to do as Christ does is simply to do the will of God. It's not to be in conflict over it. It's not to have to weigh and measure. Um, And so... He gets at it. It's very interesting in there that the, the main hypocrisy of the, the Pharisees is not that they judged right and wrong or even that they said what someone else did was wrong, which is how we usually think of hypocrisy or the Pharisees, especially if they themselves had done wrong too, but rather it was in the fact that the place to which they turned for union within themselves um, and then union with God and union with neighbor was to conscience the judging of good and evil and ultimately to the law. And in so doing, uh, and Paul gets at this in Romans when he says, so the law increases the trespass, increases sin, they only increase that disunion that existed. And then he gets into how this plays out psychologically um, so that we judge most harshly in others that to which we're tempted ourselves or that um, about which we're envious of others. So the serious man, he says, judges the frivolous man in part because the serious man wants to be frivolous, right? Um, But we also can come down hard on our neighbor 
when we see in our neighbor that which we know is problematic in ourselves. And I think this is just interesting as a starting point, and I'm just going to throw it out to the two of you. This notion that right, conscience is a good thing. Um, Lutherans appeal to conscience. Um, we, we should uh, be concerned with good and evil. But at the same time, that knowledge of good and evil is right very much tied into the fall. And, uh, and so the main thing that Jesus is getting at with the Pharisees, Bonhoeffer says, and you can agree or disagree with this, is that in trying to solve the disunity, they actually exacerbate it. And the main reason, he says, then, that the Pharisees can't understand Jesus is that Jesus is caught up in the freedom of the will of God, right? To, this is what Luther means, uh, I think Bonhoeffer would argue when he talks about good works being spontaneous. Um, in essence, we've inserted ourselves as middleman after the fall. And I think that gets at somewhat the lack of original righteousness and the loss of shalom. But uh, for either of you, maybe just to set the stage as we get into these other approaches people take, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, it's interesting. The the, set, the next section in your PowerPoint is um, you've got like super irrigation. We touched on that last time, and I think that when you're talking about the Pharisees, that's exactly what you're you know what you're getting at is this idea that you're doing extra extra works to get uh, to to bring yourself back. And you know, you said that the measure of uh, of good and evil, un- the measure of good and evil unto ourselves, and that is, I think. Kind of a common theme through this, but it becomes so terribly obvious when you get to the Pharisees or super irrigation and this idea that we're going to we're going to um, we're going to we're going to judge ourselves pretty pretty kindly because we're going to we're going to set that measure. And uh, I think that it uh, you could probably trace through all of these different areas that you have pulled out and, and make that argument for all of them in different ways. But this one just becomes so painfully obvious that that's exactly what it's doing. So we look at, we look at the stories of the Pharisees, um, you know, and say, oh, how could they be, you know, such a, such pompous windbags? How could they be, you know, be so crazy like this and um, so focused on these silly, you know, extra laws that they've created. And yet that's exactly what we're all doing when we're, right. when we're finding ways to justify ourselves. And um, I think that's, you know, sometimes even in the, when you're, when you're studying ethics for morality, that distinction makes sense. Um, I think and, that's, that's often And to make that doing. distinction, just right, morality would be rules, so don't walk on the grass. Ethics would be, why shouldn't I walk right. on the grass? Yeah. yeah, no, and so, I mean, you could study ethics and be a completely immoral person be, and be right. a really great ethicist. Um, that you know that th- there's nothing that would preclude that, um, but I think that well, <laughs> what I've found is with college students at least we <laughs> it tends to be the opposite. We say we say well I'm going to study ethics because I am a very moral person, yeah. and so now I'm going to basically find ways to justify what I'm already doing. Um, but I don't know where I was going with this exactly. But the the um, the issue is that we you know we look at something as something like ethics, we, we in, in a sense, kind of take, we become very poor ethicists because all we're trying to do is justify ourselves. Yeah, and, and I think even then when the Pharisees, even as Bonifro will get at with some, with some very sincere Pharisees who don't judge themselves lightly but will judge themselves very sincerely, the hypocrisy in that is still that they've internalized the judging to become a thing that they do um, rather than, uh, to throw a big word, eschatologically, right, living in the judgment of, now, just, of God. Just to be clear, last time Mike was talking about 
get scatological potty humor eschatological would be end things but for the christian um through uh the preaching of the gospel through absolution through justification that last judgment has in essence already taken place right so as a christian i live as one who has already been judged right the judgment of god has already been proclaimed and i have been judged a sheep i have been judged not guilty so that judgment is external to me. I don't have to internally live as though my future, my ultimate righteousness is something I have to arbitrate within myself. And so even when I serve, then I can serve spontaneously and free from um, kind of this internal record keeping. In fact, I can even be set free to sin boldly, as Luther's talking about, um, recognizing that even as I strive to serve God and my neighbor, everything will be tainted with sin, and sometimes um, the work I'm going to do won't be a perfect work, but it'll still be good for my neighbor. And in Christ, right, that work is seen as good. It's an act of love. Because sometimes we can be so paralyzed by this internalizing of judgment, um, this Phariseeism, as Bonhoeffer's talking about, that we're actually um, kept from serving because we're so fearful of messing up, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, this is not a direct um, analogy, but we live with this common phrase, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good or whatever yeah. like that. I mean, there, there's a certain sense there that you're you're free, right? <clears throat> I'm free to, and it's not so much, it may not always be, okay, I like you said, this internal bookkeeping of did I do this perfectly or not? Although for some people it does paralyze them unless right. unless I can do this with a clean, pure heart. And I mean, we this is what it is to be scrupulous. And I mean, there's even medically people who are, um, you know, it's a disorder uh, yeah. that, that, that paralyzes them. And, and even on, on a different level, but it's the same self-justification, you don't want to put yourself out there because you don't want to, unless it's going to be something that's perfect that you're proud of, because you don't want people talking behind your back. You don't want people to judge you. It, it may not be under the terms of, okay, God, me, I don't want God to judge me for this imperfect act. You're just, you're making somebody else the judge um, and saying, and ultimately yourself. And so you end up that you said paralyzed. Yeah. You don't want to end any, you don't want to. And this is where I think Luther has a nice little phrase about, you know, the, the free man ventures all things. Yeah. And he just goes out and does, which is that spontaneous thing. And, and maybe one thing on the conscience and then, and then Peter that, you know, the goal is a, is a good conscience before God and whether people use that term or in thinking about that at all. I think that that's kind of an innate thing, right? I mean, you know, nobody wants to feel guilty. Right. And everybody at some time or another has felt guilty. And so you got to find ways to get rid of that guilt, right? By, by Or to get the good conscience. We view that as something we have to cultivate or arrive at rather than, as Peter will say, baptism is the appeal of a good conscience to God. And so you can do it the pharisaical way, the classical pharisaical way, which is set yourself up with these laws, whether they come from God or from a rabbi or from wherever or from yourself. From Epictetus or from Aristotle. Check mark or whatever. Or you can just move the goalposts and say, that's not a sin anymore. And so I'm going to talk myself out of the guilt by saying, well, that's not a sin anymore. Or that is a sin, but this 
kind of makes it less sin. So, you know, I'm going to, what is it Jesus says about instead of taking care of your parents, you give this off, mm-hmm. give this offering to kind of lighten the conscience. And, and there is a danger. There is a danger with when we talk so much about gospel freedom that, you know, we personally can ruin that by saying my sin, well, I'm free, right? I'm free to do that. Well, that's, we're not, we don't mean that. Right. We mean that you are free to venture all things because you are forgiven because this is, God is giving you this freedom. And you're free in the will of God, right? Yeah, God, you, God is working through you. It's not a license to sin. We're not talking about that. And I think once in a while we do have to, that that's a danger that sinners can talk themselves into. Yeah, two things now. So going back to something Wade said, and Mike, you just touched on it. Um, you, you said that we know that uh, that that we... That it's already been done for us, that it's complete, right? right? So that so that we are right with God, that we're we're justified, and that is a that is a historic an historical fact. Um, that's easy to say. It's easy to understand in kind of just the abstract, intellectually or academically. It is extremely difficult, at least for me, to actually live that. Especially and, when you don't go to church. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it is so. I mean, because you right after you said that you went into the point of everything's tainted with sin. And so how do we, we grappling with this is so yep. difficult. And this is one of the, one of the ways that I think Luther's understanding of our life here as sinner saint is just so enlightening for, for me. And it's um, the, the way that I can, it, it, it gives me a framework within which I can understand how do I have these com- competing thoughts and, you know, emotions, really these, you know, sensations that just say, these these both are true and they but they don't work together logically they don't work together so i mean that it's i just want to say it's easy to say that it's not easy to actually wrap your mind around that that is that's one of the biggest struggles the other thing is and kind of on the opposite side of this because that that comment comes from a place of guilt that that's the law is driving me to this you know doubting of that um proclamation of my justification um which i didn't hear today in church but (laughs) (laughs) um but the uh, the other side of it is I, I always call it uh, you know Paul's question um, when uh, he comes a number of times in his epistles and says what then shall we sin all the more that grace may increase we're free in this in this gospel freedom Mark you said you know that doesn't mean that you just you know kind of throw caution in the wind and yet I mean I I've always taken Paul's question to be a very serious question right. I mean logically this makes sense if if all of if if Christ died for all of my sins. And if all of my, um, and if, and if God's grace is poured upon me, you know, at the, at the level that's required to cover my sins, well, then, then sinning all the more, right. it does And that's the Corinthian grace. problem. I mean, right. this is what First Corinthians has to deal right. with. Right. And so, so that question becomes a, a very real question. And I mean, I think that on the other side, then you kind of have this, um, almost this like Nietzschean liberty that you would, that you yep. would kind of embrace in that moment uh, that the, that, that the gospel really presents you to and these are these are logical conundrums that that i think we we it's proper to struggle with them i don't think yep. we can fully wrap our minds around and, and the, the symbol plays a, such a huge part in this right yeah I mean, the, the free man the is free you know the righteous man is free but the the sinner is not yeah and, and i think that's why as we get to the end hopefully that's how we close out with how this is lived out i like that you kind of bring up this like niche and liberty because you know, connected to that, there is something to that. I think it's the flip side of it. You know, Nietzschean liberty is, right, free to one's own will, in mm-hmm. essence. I mean, that's a gross oversimplification, but um, but the gospel liberty is freedom in God's will, right? 
and so I think that's the contrast is it's not a liberty into ourselves and then out unto others, um, but it's a liberty from ourselves. Uh, and, and yet fully and fully within ourselves. I mean, it's, exactly. this is, this is what we were made for <laughs> yes. um, yep. in the, in the original creation, the prelapsarian, you know, um, world, but also in our, in our rebirth, right? right? This is what we were made for. Right. And so I think hopefully that, those of you who didn't get to listen to the last episode yet, that grounds you somewhat in what we're getting at with all this. And then maybe if we can kind of make our way through. So we talked about self-denial and how some of the issue self-denial in itself is not a bad thing. Um, fasting can be a good thing. Jesus and Luther commend that. Um, although, you know, not for show. Um, but it can, uh, you know, an approach of self-denial as the ultimate solution can kind of devalue God's good gifts, um, food, drink, um, relationships are not the problem. These are good gifts of God. Um, and even as Jesus or Paul or Luther talk of fasting, this is not a constant life of fasting, but it's fasting for a time and for a focus, right? <clears throat> it has a season. Um, and even the Old Testament, the fasting always was followed by a feast, <clears throat> right? There's something connected to this. Um, and I think there's a big reminder in that even the season of Lent is followed by the ultimate feast, which is Easter Sunday. Um, so it's not a good diet plan, just for people out there. <laughs> right. you know, like Lent's, it's Lent's yo-yo not, diet. Yeah, it's not a good diet plan. Um, so maybe if we can get to, um, Peter mentioned super irrigation would be the next one. And this is just a term, and maybe it's not even the best term, it's just the term I, I chose to use. Um, the idea, especially in medieval theology, but still present in Roman Catholic theology, of works that kind of go above and beyond. Um, I, I believe sometimes we can think of the word evangelical councils. So there's the people that it's enough for them to try to keep the basic commandments of God. But there's some who are going to do the Sermon on the Mount stuff or the extra holy stuff. Uh, in the Middle Ages, this was especially the spirituales or the spiritual ones, monastics, <clears throat> uh, things of this sort, who are going to do extra works. And not only for their own salvation, but the idea even that this is going to help with the salvation of others, which is why people would endow monasteries or give money to support people who could say um, uh, masses for the dead. Uh, and so this also, sometimes going above and beyond is not a bad thing. Um, sometimes you, right, there is something that you go, you know what, I could do this, or I could really do this, which would probably even help my neighbor more. Um but I think I'll maybe throw out what I think is the ultimate danger with it, and then I'll let you guys react, is the big danger in the idea of human religion of, of turning to above and beyond works. And this does not have to—none of these things have to be explicitly Christian. Hopefully we keep driving that home. <clears throat> um, this can, the atheist can fall into this, right, that the atheist is going to go above and beyond to self-justify himself, um, to justify himself before his God, which is himself or herself, um, is what it does, though, is it undermines the ordinary. And I think this can sometimes even creep into our youth groups, um, our high schools, our colleges, right? Of um, We're going to have some opportunities to do some super extra Christian works. And would you like to sign up for this opportunity to do a super extra Christian work? And that is not to bash um, doing, you know, I took youth groups on mission trips. That's not a bad thing. I'm not talking about that specifically. But the idea can sometimes be fostered that unless you're doing the super extra stuff, and sometimes we'll, we'll have people who kind of get on fire for Jesus and they think, I think I want to do something in the mission field. 
And sometimes it's great to do something in the mission field, but it's it's also great sometimes to take that zeal and throw it into the ordinary. And so what I think especially um, this approach of supererogation can do, and I think the, the Reformation bears this out, is undermine the ordinary and how God works primarily through vocational things, right? Um, yes, I can go across the world to try to feed hungry children, but I can also uh, work at McDonald's and hand out meals on the drive through and be of great service to my... Now, we could get into the merits of should you be eating McDonald's or not. Um, <laughs> I mean, you guys can look at me and guess where I fall on that. Um, but, uh, you know, Luther will go back to... He likes to go back to this idea of changing your children's diaper. Um, and so the above and beyond can sometimes, I think, rob the ordinary of its sacredness. And there is a sacredness to the ordinary of life. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean that the ordinary of life is a means of grace. Um, but it is a means. It's a means through which God operates for our neighbor. And so I guess I would throw that out there to anything you have of how people do this or what the dangers of it might be. Yeah, just let me talk vocation just for, for a second Just, there. by the way, Peter, if you could jump in quickly. What do you think of Mike's shirt? He got mad at me. I commented on his I shirt. Didn't make get mad at you. I think, I think it's very nice. It's like okay. kind of shiny. It's got a little it's bit shiny of a blue. sheen. I couldn't pull it out, but blue, I think he but does it's got well. sheen, yeah. When no, you see would... a guy in clericals every day, always in black, Shiny blue stands out. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. And he's got two buttons undone on the top. That's a sign of confidence. It is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, though. So uh, two related things. One is we had talked about kind of spontaneous works. Like this is who you are now, right? You do it and you don't even think about it. Like there, there's a problem when you when you set the table for dinner and you go, that was that was good. <laughs> Three points. You know, I mean, my my family is lucky to have me, right? And I think we maybe mentioned this before, and I think it was Albert Schweitzer who who doing his great medical mission work in in Africa. He got kind of sick of what we would, he didn't use this term, but we would call today liberal do-gooders. They came down on their own dime, and they wanted to do good, really for themselves, you know. And he said, <clears throat> it's kind of like. I'm putting words in his mouth, but he's got to handhold these people. He's like, I just need people that when they see uh, a sink of dirty dishes, they just go clean it. You know, Mm -hmm. it it was more spontaneous there that way, instead of always thinking about like we call, we joke sanctification points. And the other thing with, uh, with the ordinary and uh, you know, this idea of working uh, super irrigation, Uber works that kind of undermines the, uh, the ordinary, um, th- there in our day and age, I believe that where everything seems to have a morality to it. Like I was telling my, uh, I just watch commercials to yeah, see this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just telling my students the other, kind of the other day, I'm like, it would have never dawned on me in 1984 that my Mac and cheese or to my parents that the morality of that box of macaroni and cheese, but food has a morality now. And that's, that's probably, even though it may be annoying, it's a good thing. Is it, is it sourced correctly? Um, you know, is it healthy? All those kinds of things. There's a spirituality to everything, even the ordinary today, right? I mean, you can't, I mean, you have, you have to, if you're going to order a soda at a restaurant, I mean, it's a moral dilemma for you to order soda pop <laughs> a coke whether you get a plastic straw or not right that's a moral dilemma in our world right now so the 
this idea of vocation where the ordinary has some, we're like, hello, Lutheran, this is, this is kind of our, our thing, right? You know, and hopefully we can do it without being super annoying and pious, but there is a spirituality to the ordinary and it's, it's a ripe time. And I think it's one of the reasons why when we went to school, we heard the word vocation, but we never talked about it. But now it is such a big deal. And I, I think it's, it's partly just because we are in that time. Yeah, and I think of myself growing up in the Roman Catholic Church and, uh, you know, with a grandma who expected me to be a priest. And I came close. close. Lutheran pastor's pretty close. <laughs> and, uh, um, and had uh, Bishop Moses Anderson, first uh, black bishop of uh, the Detroit area, um, say I was going to be a priest at my uh, uh, first communion and put his little bishop's beanie hat on me. And uh, this idea of when we would hear about vocation in the Catholic Church, that meant becoming a priest or a monk or a nun, right? Have you thought about vocations? And, well, uh, I think even in the Lutheran Church, I mean, when, when I was growing up, you would hear about calling, you know, vocation yeah, comes from calling. And so what is the call? Well, then you're, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're some sort of church worker, yeah. probably a pastor if you're a... And um, even the phrase divine call we can sometimes use, and it's a good phrase, it's a good thing. But every vocation is also divine, right? This mm-hmm. God is working through this. And to get to, I like the point you make of the plastic mic. We, we can sometimes make fun of that at some point, but, you know, I was reading the news the other day, and there's some whale that died, right. and they pulled out like 75 pounds of plastic from inside this whale. Hmm. And I know, like, Christians will be like, oh, straw, or our circles of Christians, which <laughs> often tend to be on the right plane, oh, straws, plastic, you know, <clears throat> liberals, whatever. Um, well, when I saw them pulling 75 pounds of plastic out of a whale, part of me did go, this maybe isn't the best thing for us to be doing <laughs> with creation. Now, I don't know who in the world is throwing plastic in the ocean. I mean, it. Uh, I mean, I know like Kramer on Seinfeld hit golf balls into the ocean, whatever. But, um, but there is, um, and we'll get to social justice later, but I mean, there are things that in the daily life can be imbued... But even just beyond that, just being there for your spouse or... Um, and you could be, I mean, just not to interrupt, but you can be crippled by this if yep. everything is this right. deep yep. moral, whatever. You can be crippled by this. And and if you're going to be honest, if, if the, you know, let me, let me just play the right wing card here. If you're going to be that liberal do-gooder... While waving your left hand on the right. Yeah, I made sure it was <laughs> left hand. Um <clears throat> You know, if you're really honest with yourself, you would be morally crippled at every step yep. of the way. I mean, there there is, this is the problem. Yep. And, and the solution is freedom in Christ. And if you're looking at it as, I'm not going to use straws now because I'm going to be a good person, um, in the sense of good, shalom, righteousness, divine righteousness, um, then that can become problematic. Uh, Peter, Mike and I have said a lot. Of, anything you have on the irrigation angle? Yeah, well, so Mike's talking about how we're kind of at this this moment in in human history, at least in the in in the the West or in the United States, where there's everything is imbued with this morality and in, in, in the secular realm. And one of the dangers, just like in the church, just like with the Pharisees, is that in the secular realm, everything gets imbued with this, and it becomes just this narcissism, right? It's that, how can I be so virtuous? And it's the same problem that, we, that we're kind of hitting on with the church that happens in the secular realm. It's not really about the, you know, doing X, Y, or Z. It's about being able to say that you did X, Y, or Z. And that's, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the problem that I think, you know, to go back to our, our friends on the 
political right and you know that they tend they tend to say well this is ridiculous you're just you know what what's the term virtue, like, virtue signaling. signaling yeah um and that's and that's it right i mean like it's it's not really that you want to do better you just want people to think you're doing better right. but that's exactly the point that's exactly what what we do um over and over and over again not in the secular who cares about the secular in a way i mean like that is right. much less my concern but in the spiritual realm that's what we do and that's really dangerous yeah and you can virtue signal on the right too Really good at it too. And I think it, you know how often don't we? And, and I'll just take it back to the family setting because I think this is where it can be most pronounced. Um, and I think especially for those of us uh, who have served in ministry or serve in education, when you're in fields, um, medical field, or you're in a field where you're actively engaged and regularly trying to help people, right? Where you're you're calling is especially focused on um, your job is to help neighbor. Now, every calling is to help neighbor, but... And we're not at, in a nonprofit sort right. of Right, I mean, yeah. person after person you're dealing with. Um, how often in this quest, right, to, to go above and beyond, you know, I want to be a really good pastor, I want to be a really good nurse, doctor, you know, you pick police officer, um, and then your family goes neglected, Um and I think there's something to that of, um, and I think we see this even trends in how the ministry has been talked about historically within Lutheranism. There's been ages where they say, you know, the pastor needs to be at church. He needs to constantly be with people. Then there's been times where it's been the pastor kind of needs to back off a bit and be with his family sometimes because we've seen the harm that the ministry has done to the pastor's family. Um, Ironically, that came then with, you people out there need to not do your vocations. Right, so now you've got a church. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and trying to like find this balance, um, how easily we can rank works. Um, but sometimes really we miss our neighbor then. Um, you know, I am going to volunteer for this thing and go abroad, and, and I keep saying abroad, it doesn't have to be abroad, but I'm going to do this great thing, and then we miss the people closest to us in our life. And I think that's something Luther in the large catechism is just fantastic for this. If you read the large catechism, especially on the commandments, um, where God has set really great works right in front of you in their great in their ordinariness. Um, and so I think this approach devalues. Um, I mean, what was the great work Adam and Eve were supposed to do in the garden before the fall? <laughs> like eat fruit and like tend the garden, and you know, there was no cure cancer. Um, and so this approach um, in ranking works, um, in wanting to make your mark, to have something to be said about you on your gravestone, um, and, and I mean, how many frazzled parents are there out there, or people who are caring for a sick relative, or, and they just feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get these years back, and I'm... You know, I'm I'm missing on going out and making my mark, and God says, "This is your mark, right. right? You're doing a great thing by sitting with that sick relative, by being present for your family." Um, we we strive for epicness right. for ourselves, and God says, "This is epic right now, because this is me doing it through you." Yeah, and I think, you know, we live in an age where, as you said, um, I mean. God bless capitalism if he chooses to, but 
Right, capitalism <laughs> thrives off this. Uh, I, <laughs> did I betray myself too much? <laughs> no, but it's a good, you can use that phrase for everything. God, God bless Texas <laughs> if, if he, he chooses, chooses to. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, right, companies even will market to this now. Like, you're going to do this great thing by buying or supporting this thing. Um, or this company is great because it's part of this um, movement. and uh, But social media exacerbates this too, right, where you want to put your best you out there. Well, do you put your best you out there is like, hey, today um, I just sat and, uh, you know, listened to my kid practice reading or <laughs> today I just sat and asked my spouse, how are you doing? You know, we tend to want to put the shiny things. Um, maybe anything to that one before we get to the next one. No, just to reiterate what you had said that undermining like the ordinary. That, yeah. um, undermining the ordinary. Luther's example of changing a diaper, I think, is just kind of perfect, right? I mean, this is something that absolutely has to be done. There's no gl there's no glamour in this. It's oftentimes, you know, a smelly job and uh, yeah. a dirty job. And who wants because to do it? Because there's poop in there. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It was a while ago that I was I was like bragging. I think it was Mike and I were recording. I was bragging about how I hadn't changed a diaper in like four or dirty diaper in like four or six weeks, and then like a day later, I had like three in a row. So, yeah. um, but I no, it's, I haven't done it in a lot like <laughs> eight years. That's probably good though, Mike, because your kids are significantly older than mine. Um, let, me, let me virtue signal here just for a second. When Luther said that, at least once he said the father changing the well, dirty and that's diapers. how it comes up in, on the estate of marriage. Um, and I used to have couples read this in premarital counseling. He kind of goes off about like these guys are making fun of this other guy, calling him a girly man for <clears throat> for changing diapers. Do you think they said it like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like Brown mentioned, yeah, it was German. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and it you know this becomes this uh, like this is a work that's beneath someone, and usually it's the works that we fear are beneath us that are actually in the end, the most useful. Right. No, and they just, I think it's great because it's one that has to be done. Um, and uh, it's for the most uh, helpless among mm -hmm. us. And it's one that no one, I mean, no one looks at and says, wow, that's amazing. Right. Oh. I mean, I try to tell my, my wife when she has to change Gabe's diaper that, you know, she, she, she did a, it's a mean diaper change well, in there. But, but you can, <laughs> you, you know this too, that I think you can find craft in, in any job where, you can go, that was the right amount of powder. That's not <laughs> We too don't use powder anymore. Well, I never use powder. Isn't powder cause cancer now? It does. What does We it? didn't know back then. Yeah. Um, but it's not too tight. It's, you right. know, I mean, there is, a, there is a craft, there's an art to everything, including changing and dirty. I just don't understand how Gabe didn't go to the bathroom for four to six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you have, he has five older sisters. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to say, you know, you take a 12-year-old changing a diaper and then a mom or a dad changing a diaper, and it's, it's very different, right? I mean, like the art of the, of the craft. All right, let's move on to the next one, though. Okay. And I'm going to say, I think this one should actually go first. In, the, in your presentation. I'll tell you why later. But okay, no, ahead. I'm very open to that and uh, very fluid. Um, the next would be um, the approach of maybe negotiation or bargaining with God or a transactional relationship with God. And so the image I use is Tetzel with indulgences, but I think it goes well beyond that. I think most um, ancient religions, this was basically the approach, this transactional relationship. Um, we see this especially um, like with Roman paganism, the idea of, we're going to do these things to keep the gods happy so they'll either stay off our back or favor us. And this can become, uh, in our own day, something of, I'm going to give this to the church or I'm going to endow this for 
whatever charity, um, and then surely God will be happy. Or let's take God out of the equation. I will be remembered, right? I will be remembered. What do we want to be remembered as? As a good person. Mm-hmm. Being remembered in and of itself isn't necessarily a good thing. I mean, Hitler is remembered. Um, I mean, maybe he's happy to be remembered as Hitler. I mean, he worked pretty hard to be Hitler. But um, <laughs> but uh, he didn't go halfway, did he? <laughs> right. He went full Hitler. Um, but uh, but this idea of I'm transactionally going to acquire a righteousness. I'm going to barter in it, and that can be financial. That can be your time. Um, but uh, Peter, I'll let you go ahead and, and take off with that of why you would move it up or, or what you you think is important about this. Yeah. So I mean, I think bargaining with God. This is like, this is this is this is where kids start. I think this mm-hmm. is where this is where we just kind of begin. Like, hey, you know what? I'm not so worried about doing extra works and doing being over good. <laughs> I'm just gonna. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna do this one thing, and then That's what are you gonna point. give me for it? Yeah. And so I think that the, that the natural progression is we start out by bargaining with God, and then um, maybe we feel like we're you know we're doing a pretty good job, and then we we get to the point like you know what I'm gonna do extra good works, and you know, and so that's the only reason I would say this one comes first, just in a logical sense or in a you know in a chronological sense, uh-huh. in my experience at least. And- Go ahead. No, done? well, I was just going to say, but this is the this this idea that, you know, let's figure out what we can do. And in a way, it makes perfect sense. What does God tell us? He says, here's my law, follow it. Yeah. He, he, he makes us a bargain. He says, follow it, right? Um, I made a perfect creation. Um, you keep my law and, and everything will remain perfect. We fail, but now the, now is the problem. Bargaining doesn't work anymore because yeah. God God doesn't change his bargaining position, right? I mean, the art of God's deal is very different <laughs> than uh, than Donald Trump's, right? And when you and when you think of that too, uh, I think a, a good thing to build on that is look even at the the Old Testament sacrificial system, which was meant to point to Christ. Uh, Paul says in Colossians, these are a shadow of things to come. Mm-hmm. But what did they turn that into? Exactly what you're talking about of okay, <clears throat> this many times a year, I got to offer this. And I'm not even poor. I'm going to offer the top sacrifice. And it became this kind of like, yeah, here's enough for God. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, and, and that, that can then get played out even in New Testament Pharisees too, just different different laws. But um, for our Lutheran listeners, you may thinking be thinking, oh, this would I would never do this. This is ridiculous to say if I do this, God, then can you do this? You know, like this which I don't think happens too often. To be fair, although, I do it all the time. Yeah, although it does happen, you know, like, uh, you know, the the atheist uh, is in a car accident and says, okay, I'll believe in you, God, now if you, you know, right. whatever. Um, I, I mean, I this is the thing, though, is I did this all the time when I was growing up, when I was younger. I mean, I thought, like, hey, I mean, God would like it if I did this, and I'd yeah. like it if he did this. I mean, so I think it's... God, it is, I will yeah. never ask for anything again if you just give me... I know. Right. How many times did that prayer work? Right. <laughs> um, but... But for you Lutheran uh, listeners out there who would say That's never me. me, I've been at enough deathbeds of very faithful yep. people, and they'll say to me, as they're looking back on their life because they know it's the end, I tried really hard, Pastor. I tried really hard. I did my best. Mm-hmm. And I just want to go, what are you talking about? You know, like that matters at all, you know, but Mm -hmm. still trying to justify themselves to me, to themselves and ultimately to God. And uh, I did really hard God. Therefore, right. I mean, it's finally a bargain. Therefore, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of expect something when I die. No, Uh, I know. I know it wasn't perfect. It's always there. It's always there. And in the pew, 
lifelong Lutherans every Sunday in the pews, that opinio legis will come rearing back. Don't think that you are going to be immune to those thoughts. Or, or you go to church and you expect things to be really good that week because you went mm-hmm. to church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to church too. Well, that'll come in self-help stuff too. I go to church to get right. something. Yep, something back. Yep. 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 Okay. Um, and I think uh, just time-wise, we'll probably this will probably be three parts. I think, which will be fine because the next one can be really heavy on kind of the answers to some of this. Sure. Because this next one, I, the next few, I think we could really go on for a while, and we kind of got into it with the plastic a little bit. Um, but the next one, I have a picture of Karl Marx. Um, and that's, I mentioned last that episode. That's really his best picture. Yeah. I mean, of all that, this is the famous. Oh, I like it, yeah. And, uh, With the big beard, dark mustache, yeah. It's beautiful. And it's not to, to bash Marx. Um, as I said last time, I think Marx and Kierkegaard both are excellent diagnosticians. They they really do point out some problems about the human condition and um, and even about their day. And people might look and say, oh, Karl Marx saying the workers are exploited. What is he talking about? Well, have you ever like read about what it was like to be a laborer um, for much of human history. Um, now, and people, well, I'm sensitive to union stuff being from Michigan, and I, I myself am pro-union. I mean, I would unionize the faculty if I could. I've researched it, and it's not possible. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you read about these... Even if it was theoretically possible, there's no way we could, we could I'm get very together. expendable. We yeah. could get together as a group to do something like well, that. Well, and just looking at them like... Could they get better theologians than me and Mike? And I'm like, probably, actually. (laughs) There's a lot of Lutheran PhDs out there. Um, But, uh, you know, if you think of uh, the labor movements early on and some of these sit-ins where goons are sent in to beat people, whatever else, if you have ever been grateful for OSHA for a 40-hour work week, for not having lost a limb and having it be somewhat like, oh, that happens, um, you know, uh, maternity leave, Right? These are all things that came out of real problems um, of having to live where you work and having it, rather than getting paid, you get store credit to the company store that charges whatever they want for a Lunchable or mac and cheese. <clears throat> um, I don't want to get all political. And but, instead of Marx, you should have had like Samuel Gompers here with his big like handlebar mustache. That would have been They great. all have great theologians and socialists um, or labor movement leaders tend to have great facial yeah. hair. Um, and... Uh, so this is not to I'm not saying well any because people hear Marx they think left or they think socialism. Mm-hmm. What I'm getting at with this is um, people can imbue their politics or their view of economics, any of these things, with a religious fervor, and this is not just a left problem. One only needs to mm-hmm. be on Christian Facebook um, or listen to um, political dialogue on the left or right today, and it can be. America is done. Humanity is done if we don't get this law passed or elect this person. Um, this is the only economic system that war will work. Otherwise, God won't be providing our daily bread. Um, the church is going to die if we have to bake a cake or, you know, um, yeah. school choice is lost. And I'm very pro-school choice because my kids get school choice. So I've invested it. I mean, I would have to pay tuition otherwise. And, I've looked into it. It's very expensive. Um, But uh, we can, um, even as Christians, and maybe I would say in 2019 America, especially as Christians, fall into this too. So I just want to preface this of this is not a them problem. 
but I, I think of um, utopian ideological positions and not necessarily it, that the person thinks it's utopian. Maybe they still expect that a heaven to come, but where we find ourselves living more like the rich man than poor Lazarus. Um, but I'll throw that out there, and I've already advocated. I sound like a Teamster representative. Um, I'll throw it out to and Peter. I know that has to be killing you because Peter would like to privatize the roads, the police force, um, judicial system. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, pretty much everything. <laughs> so, okay, um, but uh, yeah, there's no problem with that. Yeah, but I'll just I'll let you guys react as you as you see uh, to that. I'll say this is your more your wheelhouse, so I'll just say just just a few things. It's easy to see how an atheist could. Could get Peter's just waiting to, to yell taxation is right. theft. It's easy to see the, the <laughs> pathway for an atheist to get there because, of course, you want a utopia. You don't believe in an, in an, an uh, eternal world after this. Right. So, of course, you're, this is like everything, right? But, and people will say, well, what, the, youth, the atheist can't be a moral person. Of, of course, course he, can. he can. He or she thinks this is right. all people have. They want it to be. Many of them want it to be as good as it can be. Yeah, it makes more sense that they would they would be more so. Right. right? Sorry for jumping in. Mike. No, and that's a misuse of the the moral argument for the existence of God. It, it misses a spot there. But and that would be a good episode too. Yeah, that's a different different topic. But um, Christians do this as well too, especially in the United States of America, where you have this idea of the the shining city on a hill, like this is like this is the be all and the end all. And the, the Reagan funeral was a uh, great example of this. If anybody watched the Reagan funeral back when he had died, um, you know, you have people, and I'm not putting down Reagan. I mean, he was horrible for Michigan, but um, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean he was a bad president. And I mean, he did. The Berlin Wall, you know, largely came down because of things Reagan did. And so great and all. But like the optimism about human nature and America as the shining city on a hill. I mean, plenty of Christians applaud. What a wonderful funeral. Um, if you have a non-biblical anthropology, then it was it was rah-rah human beings and exceptionalism and, you know, try hard, whatever, but go ahead. Right, and it's a very, not to pick on our Protestant brethren, but the more you get down that road, you can eventually even get into some of maybe the, well, that came out of the burnt over um, region of New York. Some of those sects that went so far as Mike, like this is a family is show. It. <laughs> that it's just a yeah okay. Um, that you can really get to this like this is it. This is utopia on Earth, and uh, it's finally just a law thing, right? Because how are you going to get utopia here? Well, you're going to have to get rid of all the sinners. And then right. you're, so you're going to classify who those are, who's right. the problem, and people. how are you going to draw that line? Well, now you're you're very close to a um, you're very close to a theocracy in some form. It's it's you know the Old Testament is a lot about nations come and go, but God remains. Like we're not going to be any different. That's a good reminder for us. But mm -hmm. this is your this is your real house. Yeah, no, I I think that I mean. The are, way that, are you upset that I poked a little fun at Reagan, no. Peter? <laughs> no. Actually, so going back to the Reagan comment, so he says to a group, I think, uh, I can't remember what the group was, but it was a religious group that's together, in, and I think it was during his first campaign, presidential campaign, and he says, I know you can't endorse me, but I endorse you. And when he, he pulls 
theology or religion into politics in that way or politics into religion. That is, I mean, some people mark this as kind of the moment where the, the religious right kind of woke up. And like this when, is moral majority Christian right. coalition, all this. Sort of this is when all this is really kind of just coming to life. And, the and, reformed ate it up. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and there's, a, there's, some, there's some real danger there. And when we look at, I mean, what are the, what are the two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite company is politics and religion, right? Um, oh, that's what it and, is? <laughs> You've never been in polite company. (laughs) Um, But we take and religion has, or politics, excuse me, has become so religious. We take it so personally. This is, this is everything. This is, I mean, we are going to live or die by this. As you were talking about before on Facebook, you see the, you know, people saying, if this law doesn't get passed, if this person doesn't get acquitted, whatever, it's going to just be, this is the end of society as we know it. Um, We imbue so much importance in the political, and we allow the political to become, to, to supplant the religious. And so Mike says, you know, you have, ultimately you end up with a theocracy, even even in an atheistic worldview like mm-hmm. this, and maybe even more so, you end up with some sort of a theocracy if you're understanding that, that theos. Atheism the, can have a theocracy, yeah. Right. Here's our doctrine that everybody must agree exactly. upon. I mean, yeah. this is how many, uh, you know, communist one party that become basically oligarchies weren't, Essentially, theocracies in that there was a there was a party line, there was a, a religiosity to it. Yeah. yeah, no, that dogma, which is you know in in, philo- in philosophical circles, you know, dogma is terrible, and the church that's you know kind of central, at least in the Western church, and uh, it's you know, but that is exactly what happens. You set something up there, and so I think that I mean, whether it's this utopian ideal, and I think one of the one of the problems with saying utopian, I think, is that we oftentimes start thinking left-wing, at least in American politics, and that's not right. Utopian is whatever politics you think should be, you know, is, is the best. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be that you're saying everything will be, will be perfect, but this is the best way to do it, and then you, you pursue that just doggedly. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I think it just, gets, it just gets in the way. This is a way that we... More, more than turning it, let me think about how to say this, more than turning it into our religion, it's that we push our religion out of the way. Um, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, a point, a point with, with, uh, with this is, uh, for the Christian, maybe a way to think of it um, would be that for the Christian, there's really no next election that stuff uh, hinges on the Christian's election has already taken place, right? Through God's election before all time and then through God's election of us in preaching, the Christian already has ele- the election, which means everything, as virtue in the ways I would say, is going to be okay. Uh, so there's no next election that our salvific hopes need to rest upon. So we're, we're set free um, to vote our conscience. We're set free... Um, to want the best for our neighbor, right? And so I can now use the political realm. I can use the economic realm to say, how can I best serve my neighbor through this? And maybe there's not a perfect platform. And if you can find a party platform that you agree with entirely, be very careful because this is how terrible things have happened in society. Um, And so you don't have to imbue it um, with any sort of ultimate rather than penultimate, with any sort of um, salvific, any sort of um, not even just utopian, but uh, 
grand scheme, fix everything, uh, meaning it can be what, what is, what's best for my neighbor. And so um, is it good that my neighbor doesn't go hungry? Is it good that my neighbor um, has a freedom that I think is commensurate with, um, with the freedom we have in the gospel? Is it good that my neighbor's intrinsic value as a human being is recognized? These are all things we're set free for. And so we're set free to vote for our neighbor, not to have to have my existence, my righteousness, my well-being as a Christian in no way rests in the next election, the, the next governmental system, the next economic upheaval. But I'm confident of that, and then I can go into it with that. And that's why I, I find it um, problematic when I see Christian leaders, churches, individuals seemingly um, operating from a place of fear rather than freedom. Um, the, the question I always want to ask myself is, is that person getting enough gospel? Is that person being fed because um, that fear is not coming from a, a, um, a healthy, um, absolved place? Does that make sense? Or I, I don't know how to say it better. That's, that's coming. Well, go, the back only, to, go back to your the original. The only place we get there is by losing sight of Christ, I right. would say. Go back to your original Bonhaver quote there. I think that's what you're talking about. I mean, you, if you're not at peace in yourself, and we don't mean love yourself first, then you love other people. We mean if you're not, if you have this internal, I don't know if I'm right with God or the world, our nasty way of projecting that often is, I'm going to I'm going to find something that I disagree with and I'm going to get really really angry. Or if at I it. can't control what's within myself, I can at least try to control what's outside, right? I want to find things I can manage, but I'm maybe sounding too negative here, but Yeah, no, that's good. I think we should do we're 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 just at an hour right now, but we should I think we should do one more cuz I think it's a good stopping point and it ties in with this one. All right. If if we begin to segue into it, can we kind of pick it up next time too cuz I do want to do that somewhat um, but why don't we segue into it, and then I might have a couple things to come back to okay. on this in the next one. <clears throat> but the next one going with that kind of builds out of this um, this picture of Marx. The next picture is um, people with the flag of nationalism. Uh, looks kind of like goose stepping off a cliff. Um, but I have their kind of identity movements or us, them, or the right people. And I think this flows out of this, nat- this idea of... Um, this imbuing things with a religious meaning of um, beyond now we're going to get the right government in place or we're going to get the right economic system in place of we're going to be the right people. Um, And I think it's interesting that we see nationalism really come out of the Enlightenment, right? Where um, the Enlightenment rightly grasps, grasps and points out that um, peoples come out of a historical context. Their customs come out of a historical context. Their laws and language come out of a historical context, right? There's there's a reason a German thinks like a German and a um, uh, someone in China uh, thinks like um, a Chinese person thinks. One's been influenced by Confucianism. One has had a, a Nietzsche, a Hegel, you know, a, a, a Bach. Um, not to throw Bach in with the others, but... Um, <coughs> But there's this recognition that there is something to a people, 
right? Um, and so the, the the German word's kind of been, um, unfortunately, there's bad connotations now. I'm talking about a folk, a people, right? <clears throat> Almost anything, um, you know, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s that says folk, you should be a little bit leery of. Um, it was associated with problematic movements. And maybe just a note there. In America, I believe we're the only the only people that we equate nation with state, but nation really is tied to a people, right. a people. Yeah. And the United States is different because it is the melting pot of different We're contract-based, right? It's right. an idea. And yeah. so people on the left tend today to say that nationalism is a right-leaning thing when historically it probably was, it's either one, but we misunderstand that a little bit. Uh -huh. um, so it, what, 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 ties people together, a language, a culture, ethnicity, something like that. America's unique in that, and, and our language with nation and state doesn't really help out when we understand what nationalism actually is. And so when people say, oh, Donald Trump is, is a nationalist, well, he's a different kind of nationalist than somebody in France in, you know, at the, the French at Revolution. French yeah. Revolution. The, the America is a, diff, it's a different context, right or wrong. It's just different. Sorry. No, and, and I think one of the big dangers that comes from this, but I do want to get into next episode, just identity in general and, and how baptism just kind of washes all that away, if, if I can speak of it that way. Um, but I think this one, especially in our own day, has become very big, um, is, is the idea of identity. And I think we've seen this idea become not even entirely now group but even individual right i'm going to decide my identity and that can be i'm a ford or a chevy person i'm at um apple or microsoft or whatever um but this goes back to that disunion it goes back to genesis 3 it goes back to what bonhoeffer um is getting at but you you see this even in existentialism right that um and, the, you know, the idea of existentialism being existence precedes essence. Um, you know, Camus, who said he wasn't an existentialist, but in many ways he is, says, you know, the meaning of life is whatever keeps you from killing yourself, um, which would be a great bumper sticker, but <laughs> it's probably not. Um, it, I mean, it, it's not like a warm thought, you know. But uh, I don't know it keeps you around, though. Yeah, and it. But this, it's a terrible burden, I think, for people to bear. But maybe if we can just start with the us, them, is this is another one that it need not be Christian at all, but it can also be Christian. Um, we see this after Constantine where you have people, you know, groups of people coming into the church where some people think they're not serious Christians. And so there's the us, them that will develop into monasticism. We see this with pietism and are you a sincere or genuine Christian? Um, and if so, then these are the marks of that, and you have additional marks of the church that will be added, um, rather than kind of the very simple of the marks of the church that Luther would have talked about. Um, and it's interesting how many or how many fewer marks of the church Luther has than a lot of the Reformed and, and um, subsequent Pietists, etc., will have. Um, this is a very powerful, powerful dynamic to think that now my life will have meaning and it maybe forsakes the idea of a universal unity that I'm going to be one with everyone else and says, though, there can be a unity I can have within this specific group. Um, and that us then can become 
extremely problematic in the church. You know, uh, uh, Mike, when you who was it you hit, you did the episode on can a Christian be a Democrat with? Uh, you were out in Utah. And, oh, Barb, Barb. And and you guys talked about that. You know, are you a Democrat or a Republican church? Are you a white church or a black church? Are you a poor church or a rich church? Are you a city church or a country church? Um, these are all words we're adding to things that are have nothing to do with the New Testament. The New Testament is, are you church, right? And um, in fact, this is one of the things that the early church was um, poked fun at because of is that you had the slave and the free man standing next to each other, um, Greek and Jew. It was kind of this motley gathering of um, all of society, uh, the undesirable with the very important. And um, it's, uh, you know, to go back to socialism or, you know, how Marx would have seen it, um, socialism is inherently, as Marx saw it, international, right? So this is why you'd have the first international or these <coughs> meetings of um, early socialists or communists, and those aren't always the same thing. Um, but this idea of it's going to transcend all. Yet anytime we've seen socialism, socialism try to be worked out, and I mean Marxist socialism, it almost always becomes national. Not national socialism like Nazism, but it has to close in on itself. And we even see this with Stalin, right? Socialism in one nation. This is a big move he makes. And so this, when we make politics or economics how we're going to be fulfilled or where we're going to find our righteousness or our peace or our value or our meaning, we inevitably draw a circle. And what Christ does in the Gospels is every time you draw that, that line, that circle, he steps across it. Right? He's always for the people on the other side. Um, whether it's the adulterous woman being stoned or the Samaritan. And so I think, um, and here maybe next time we can pick up with what baptism does to that. Um, but anything you guys want to jump in on, on that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that this nationalism or this us-them relationship just f flows perfectly out of making politics our religion because we're always thwarted when we want politics to be something that it can't be for us. And so then what we what do we do is we step back and we say, well, it's not my problem or it's not our problem, it's their problem, right? And so this idea, and Mike, your your point about nationalism, na nation versus state, I think is perfect and makes makes my point very easy to make in that it's not it's not the political um, union here that that I'm concerned about. It's it's this cultural union right and so this what what's it going to mean and i can i can make that i can draw those boundaries wherever i want however tight i need that to be um to to feel like now i've got it now i'm i'm right we're right and they're wrong and i can i can start pointing fingers and so immediately you 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 can see the dangers with it but it also becomes this way it goes right back to the whole self-justification right like i'm i'm doing all right we're doing all right you want to do all right you know come come spend yeah. spend more time with us and be more like us and and it can only work if you're us right yeah. and you just you just immediately because have, there has to be a them yeah and you immediately have the you know um the the comparison going on again why do I, how do i know that i'm okay because i'm not like them right? and that's and we see this with the like greeks that, and the I'm jews good. in the new testament yeah. yeah it reminds me of fascism i think that word comes from a bundle of sticks right you can yep. break a couple sticks three sticks four sticks depending on how strong you are but a bundle of sticks can't I be bet broken I could break eight yeah sticks. but like like if there was all the italians were sticks going this way <laughs> you couldn't break them could you 
And so Ethiopia couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Mussolini, Mussolini managed to have yeah. his big concrete. What was his record? One and, anyway. He gassed him and um, everything. Yeah. So, um, but how do you get? Human people who are geared As towards to non-human people, free, <laughs> human <laughs> beings that are that are geared for freedom to all get moving the same way. Well, you need a strong leader. You need something that is going to bind you together, ethnicity, culture, whatever, a nation, a people, and you also need an enemy, right? And this is where leadership. A lot of the leadership stuff is like, if you want to be a good leader, make an enemy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right, get people to buy in, and, and it frees me from having to deal with the enemy being me. And the leadership is always, you know, the idea of leadership is follow me. As in, there's danger over there, follow me, right? And so you have fear mongering, you have all those things, and I think you're right. And you have this future, this illustrious future that up I mean, the to go back to Nazism, you're gonna have a thousand year Reich. Right, no one's like, "Hey, I promise you a eight-year Reich." <laughs> you're gonna have this lasting thing, and you're gonna be absorbed in that, right? And that's where you become something. And and always the problem is without, and it's not within me. And I think this phrase needs to be repeated over and over again. We found the enemy, and the enemy is us. Uh-huh. And I think this plays into, and we can pick up next time with this because I want to go over. Um, but even uh, you know, and these are all. Most of these things at their core can be good. Politics is good. Mm-hmm. Economics is good. We need good politicians. Now, the worst politician is the one who wants to be the Messiah, right? This is this is when it becomes problematic. Um, but uh, um, patriotism is can be good, right? Pa- but patriotism can also become problematic. And uh, we can see even this in the church where Christianity and patriotism can be conflated, and any pastor who's ever had to deal with any issue of the flag, or um, you know, what for, are we going to sing on July Fourth? Yeah. You know, forced patriotism is always a bad thing. Right, there's something deeper wrong when you have to force people <laughs> to be patriots. Is it really patriotism anymore? But even that, when when it becomes part of our religious identity, and this can really happen quite easily. Um, these are things which at their core are not necessarily bad, um, but what it is, in many ways, it can get at a who am I, right? Wanting to address that who am I, and then that who am I then expands past the eschatological answer. The fact is, who I am for the Christian has already been answered. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And uh, and we fall back on the law, and the law in the end is always going to, um, lead us falling short. And we then, we make up these, you see this with, for instance, with white nationalism. What is white? You know, I always get a <laughs> kick out of that. Like, oh, you know, white. Um, many In many ways, this you know, the story of America is the rich pitting the poor blacks against the poor whites because otherwise the poor blacks and the poor whites might talk and be like, oh, you lost your thumb at work? I lost my thumb at work. That stinks. Like, your family's starving? My family's starving too. Um, right? Really, race is an enlightenment concept when they started to try to rank people. Um, but we can think of how packed these words become. Um, and uh, and we, we see this, I mean, how many identities don't people have? And even Foucault, um, you know, French, postmodernist, um, homosexual, was very opposed to all this labeling of sexuality, for instance. He thought this would be a very 
bad thing because end of the day he was Michel Foucault. He wasn't a, a French homosexual, whatever. Um, now that's not saying I'm not endorsing the French or homosexuality, um, but this what is what's it the what's at the root of um, this need to label when if I label myself as you know what what I am I'm a white heterosexual I've just diminished who I actually am right who I am is important because I'm a human person to use Mike's phrase there. Um, <laughs> And, uh, it's the best kind. It's actually philosophically correct when you think about it because person doesn't... Go ahead, Wade. Okay. <laughs> person is a legal term, yes. Um, but it's less than who you are, right? You are you are so much more than any label. And, and pick the label that you want to pick for that. Um, but I think this does flow out of what, what's come before. I guess I'll give you guys the last word, but maybe if we can hit... If we pick up next time, if we remember, maybe pick up with baptism... And then we can spring into the rest. Yeah. Mike, you want to give some gospel as we close out? Well, let me give you one thing and I'll kick it. Peter, you okay. can give us gospel. Um, Twice in a row, Peter gets to be the gospel. The, um, just so you know, for all of you American patriots out there, we're patriots too. But here's a switch that... Well, you some are. of us. You are. To think about your citizenship and your patriotism in vocational terms instead of identity terms. And I think that's that's very helpful. That that seems to be the disconnect connect for me is that I want to be pro American and and proud of my country, but not in this kind of forced way, right? But rather I have a calling as citizen here to be engaged, to be um, a thoughtful voter, to to do all these things. That's kind of the civic righteousness that well, that's a bad term, but th- th- that's kind well, of... Well, the confessions use it. It doesn't have well, to be. Well, I mean, I was meaning different. The, this, this participating in civic life that I think that Luther would have promoted if he knew what sure. America was, but also that our American forefathers were talking about with, with the pursuit of happiness, that you participate in this, and it's not... It's not identity kind of stuff, right? And so when you, when you get kind of a far right-wing complaining about identity politics and then and the far left with then that. All kinds doing of all too, of yeah. this identity politics th- there's just a disconnect there and i honestly i think vocation does vocation helps there. it's like bacon peter <laughs> yeah. you throw a little vocation <laughs> in everything it, yeah. it fixes just about but all to your get problems it that, and vocation only works because it's gospel in, right there's no real vocation in a meaningful way Apart from justification on, and the it's gospel, ba- it's based on on the freedom of the of the gospel. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't tell you guys this before, but I was thinking that maybe we could just change up the ending of the episode this time, and instead of you know we usually let it go with "Let the bird fly," I was thinking we could just say the Pledge of Allegiance together, <laughs> just to <laughs> demonstrate our patriotism. I know, Mike over here is such a big patriot, but the only flag he has hung up in this office. Did you notice what it is, Peter? Oh yeah, that's that. What is that maze? Is that maze in blue? <laughs> yeah. It, uh, um, but Peter, yeah, I want yeah, to give so, some gospel. I mean, so whether you're, whether you're looking to, you know, bargain with God or do extra works and maybe even enough works for some other people or whether you're looking for to politics or to your identity for your, um, for your, you know, justification or just for your comfort, we're always going to find ourselves wanting. And instead we turn to the gospel, we turn to what Christ did for us, and then we find not only that we find that comfort, but that we truly are free to let the bird fly.
every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set him up, another round I set him up, another round I set him up, another round One more round won't get me down Yeah.